Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com, you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our what's happening email we send this out once a week it's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online apart from that there is a give button so if you're feeling led you can do that right online through our website you can also find us on facebook and youtube we are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that god's going to do something special in you through today's message enjoy Well, how many of you, um, you're here this morning, and how many of you have enemies? Anybody here have any enemies? Yeah, some of you are laughing. Spouses, be careful. Don't, uh, don't get carried away here. I mean, everybody has some sort of enemy, I think, in some way or another, if you think about it, right? Sometimes, sometimes for some, some people, it's kind of like their coworkers maybe are their enemies. I struggle with that horribly. <laughs> That's a tough one for me. Um, other people, it's maybe a country. Maybe it's a group of people, like a team, like the Boston Bruins. Perhaps you remember the 2011 Stanley Cup Finals. I still don't like the Bruins, and I don't even watch hockey anymore, but I don't like the Bruins. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's bad habits or attitudes that are your enemy. Maybe it's laziness or greed or I don't know what it might be. Maybe it's the weight scale that's your enemy. Um, we, all, we all have enemies of some sort, but I think we would all agree about this, that all of us have no greater enemy than the enemy of death. The greatest enemy of all, the universal enemy, I would say, is death. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The very last enemy that will be destroyed is death. You know, people in every culture have done whatever they can to avoid this universal great enemy. In fact, for many years, there was even um, a lot of strange superstitions that people had that it was kind of like, don't do this because you may die. And I actually, these are true. I found some of these things that people would actually do. Like they would say, never, never, maybe you've heard this before, never hold a stick in your mouth while sewing. You may die. Have you ever heard... Mel, do you, do you, you hold a stick in your mouth every day when you sew? So I don't know why you would want, maybe you choke on it. I don't know what the deal is there, but another one was never drive a nail after sunset. So Steve, you're, make sure you're, you're, which actually you have to by law, I think, but I don't know again, you could die probably because your neighbors would want to kill you for making so much noise late at night. But the other ones here, never place a broom on a bed. Don't sweep after sundown. You could die. These are true superstitions that people had to avoid death. Don't sweep under a sick person's bed. It's, have any of you heard of, have you ever heard any of these superstitions, anybody? Yeah, I, I, this, I think that just sounds like it's best in general just to avoid sweeping in general. <laughs> I think a lot of men are okay with that one. Um, and this is my favorite. Try not to imagine it's Saturday when it's not. It's like, what on earth? I guess it's because the disappointment could kill you when you realize that it's like Monday or something. I don't know. But really, to this day, we all try to avoid this great enemy of death, do we not? We do. I mean, we still continue. The, the world is, is crazy, maybe not with weird superstitions, but you think about how we live. The health craze, in a sense, and the kicks that we're on, kind of going, don't eat that. Why? Because we want to live longer. It's all about how can you live longer? Why? You want to live longer so that you don't die. We're all trying to avoid death. The world is consumed with how not to die, but you know what? The statistics, the statistics don't lie. That Out of 100 people, 100 will die. <laughs> That's just the way it is, because the reality is that death is no respecter of persons. You know that. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how powerful you are. It doesn't matter how rich you are or influential. Or it doesn't even matter how needed you may be, right? We all die. Death is, is no respecter of persons. It comes to us all. We're kind of like the guy that went to the doctor for his annual checkup. And when the, the results came back, the doctor called his wife and said, I need to speak with you about your husband's results. And so um, the husband and wife drove to the hospital, and she went in to see the doctor, and the husband waited in the car. And as she goes in to see the doctor, and the doctor just says to her, uh, says, you know what, your husband has a, a very serious disease, and he's going to die. She's like, oh. And he says, unless, unless, and, and he begins to explain, unless he get, receives the utmost care, right? like, like only kind words, you have to prepare all his meals, always clean up after him, he needs back rubs, foot rubs, kind, like notes of encouragement all the time, like, like, whatever he wants on, to watch on TV, you let him watch. I'll, 
he needs this or he will die. Oh, man, she thinks, oh, my goodness. So she goes back to her husband who's in the car waiting. And her husband says, well, what, what, what did the doctor say? And she says, I'm sorry, but you're going to die. <laughs> I mean, it's a reality for all of us. Death comes to us all, does it not? It does. And death, let's be honest, death sucks. Does it not? Like, death is a jerk, if I can put it that way. I remember when I first kind of felt the, the first, if you could put it this way, the sting of death. The sting of death. I was a child, and I remember we had a, a, a dog that was named Kim. I don't remember how old I was. I was probably about six or seven. And Kim ran away over the We lived on this side of a mountain and ran over the mountain and, uh, and, and got hit by a car. And I remember my dad bringing our dog and, and bringing our dog home before they had to go to the vet to, to put Kim down. And, and I remember just, you know, Kim was very broken, like literally and um, couldn't walk or anything. And it was kind of, these are the last moments I had with this dog. And it was hard. I was a child. And I remember the sting that death all of a sudden hit with. Some of you probably know that, that feeling, that sting. And I mean, for me as a kid, it really made me kind of wonder, like, does, do, will I seek him again, right? Will, will, will animals be in heaven? Which, which the answer we all know is dogs, yes. Cats, no. <laughs> That's right. No cats in heaven, buddy. <laughs> yeah, there won't be cats. You know what? We don't know for sure. I can't guarantee you about cats or dogs. I can't guarantee you this. There will be animals in heaven. We know that. Whether it'll be our own personal pets, I have no idea. Um, but the Bible speaks about that, that the child will lead the lion. There will be animals in eternity and in heaven. But obviously, as we get older, the sting of death isn't just with pets, but it, it turns into actually then people. Not long after that, I remember uh, one of my grandmas died. And I was like, okay, this became a little more real in my life. And, and, and family and friends and loved ones start to die, even children. Think about just recently the, the Christian school shooting down in Nashville. Horrific. You know, three children and three adults, lives taken. It's just horrible. And whatever our experience is, we know that death stings. Death stings with its pain and its sorrow and the regret that it brings. In fact, the Bible says the same thing about death. The Bible actually says that death has a sting. It says it has a sting. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 says, says this. In fact, this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, is one of the greatest passages about the resurrection and what the resurrection means for us. If you want to know more, read 1 Corinthians 15. It speaks all about the resurrection. But it says this about the sting of death. It says that because of Easter Sunday, because Christ rose from the dead, it says this, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Isn't that great? Let me read that again. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Those are great words. Why? Because Christ rose. That's, that's the reason we can say that. That's why we can have such hope and such encouragement. And so this Easter Sunday morning, I want to just take a little bit of time and I want to look at how Christ, Christ's resurrection removes the sting of death. How his resurrection removes the sting of death. Why don't we pray and then we're going to look at just two key areas that the resurrection of Christ removes this sting. Father, um, Lord, we're grateful this Easter Sunday morning for your work. We're grateful that we have an empty tomb that we can look at and we can rejoice in that, Jesus, you are no longer there. I love how the gospel writer, I think it's in John, says to the women that ran to the tomb, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is alive, just as he said he would rise from the dead. Lord, we are here to celebrate that fact, and we're here to learn and celebrate what that means for us even now, here and today. So speak to us, Lord. Challenge us and encourage us this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So two, two key stings that death has, uh, Christ's resurrection removes two of these ones we're going to look at, and the first one's going to be the sting of sin. 1 Corinthians 15 Verses 54 to 55, we already read this, but it said that death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Then the next verse, he goes on to write this, verse 56. For sin is the sting that results in death. Sin is the sting that results in death. See, we need to understand this. First and foremost, God never intended for us to die. God didn't create death for every human being. If you think back to the garden in the original uh, garden with Adam and Eve, before they ever disobeyed God, before they ate of the forbidden fruit, there was no death. 
God didn't create death. He never intended us to die. There was no illness. There was, there was no, no, no aging. There was no sickness. There was no need for a police force. But because of sin, because of disobedience towards God, death entered the world. In fact, Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 to 17, God actually warned Adam. He said this. He said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely, what's it say? Die. See, there are all kinds of consequences to sin. You know this. There's all kinds of consequences to sin. However, the key or main consequence to sin is that of death, dying. That's what, that's what God warned us about. And so the problem isn't so much death itself. The real sting is actually sin because sin results in death. So technically, if we didn't sin, we wouldn't have a payment of death. I mean, in many ways, that's why a lot of the world likes to have their standard for, for sin or getting to heaven. It's kind of like, what's the standard tends to be? Well, I'm better than, and you fill in the blank. Or I'm not as bad as, right? And you fill in the blank. Right? We tend to set the standard with a comparison of me compared to others. And compared to others, I'm pretty good. I'm not that bad of a person, is what we like to spell it off with. But what is the actual standard? What is the cutoff line for good enough? Well, ultimately, we need to look to the one who set the standard, do we not? And what is the one, who's the one that set the standard? God. And what's the standard that God set? What's the cutoff line for good enough? Perfection. Perfect. You have to be perfect, he says. Which at this point, all of us should be like, "Uh uh-oh. Because is anyone here perfect? You know, some of you might think, oh, yeah, I'm pretty good. No, you're not. Just ask a good friend. Ask your spouse. Ask your wife or your husband. You're not perfect. None of us are. In fact, Romans 3.10 tells us that there is no one righteous, not even one. Not even one person in this whole world. Mother Teresa, who probably many of us would think was just the most amazing woman, she would tell you, I am not perfect. That's what she would say. She wasn't perfect. In fact, later on in that same chapter in Romans, verse 23, he, he sums it all up and says this, all Not most or many, but all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. The standard that God says, all people fall short of that. And so you might be going, hey, Peter, this is some bad news. I thought I came here for good news. It's Easter Sunday. The sting of death is gone, so that is good news. And the Bible is absolutely clear that Christ took your sting of sin upon himself on the cross. Listen to these verses. Listen to what the Bible says about your sin. 1 Peter 2, 24 says that he personally being Jesus, carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's some good news. Colossians 2.13-14 You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. I love that passage. Because we all have a record of charges against us. All of you do. Because all of us have done wrong. We've already read those passages of Scripture. No one's righteous. No one. No one is perfect. And so some of us have a very long record of charges. Some of us, maybe it's a little bit shorter. But regardless, we all have a record of charges against us. And what does that Colossians 2 passage speak about? That on the cross of Christ, where were those charges put? On the cross. They were nailed with Jesus to the cross. That's amazing. The charges that were written up against you were paid by Jesus. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Romans 8, 3-4 tells us this, that the law of Moses, you can look at the law of Moses kind of being like the the, the, the method of kind of self-righteousness. If I obey certain things, do these certain things. And this is what he says about the law of Moses. It was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, speaking about the body of Christ, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. You see, all of these, all of these passages are all alluding and speaking to the fact that, that Christ literally took the sting of death, the sting of sin, he literally took it in his hands and in his feet and in his side on that cross. Literally, he took that sting for us. 
See, all of us, I heard this great illustration how all of us are kind of like the, the, the little boy who is deathly allergic to bee stings, deathly allergic to bee stings. And he's traveling in the car with his dad one time and, and this bumblebee flies into the car, gets into the car and starts swarming around his head and near the front window where he's sitting, he starts to freak out. If he gets stung, he could die. And so he starts freaking out and screaming. His dad sees this bumblebee and the dad just reaches over and he puts his hand on the bee on the, on the glass, traps the bee in his, in his hand and he, he grabs that bumblebee and he holds it in his hand for a good minute or so. And then after about a minute, he lets the bee go. And his son's like, what are you, you know, starts freaking out. Dad, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and, and then he shows his son. He says, look, the stinger. It's right here. It's in my hand. I took the sting so it can't sting you now. That's the love that the, that, that father had for his son. That's the same love. That's what Jesus has done for us. He took the sting of sin, the sting of death upon himself. That's what he did for us. It's gone in his hands, in his feet, in his side. He paid the penalty for our sin so that we could be forgiven. He literally traded spaces with us. You need to understand this. He left his glory in heaven, the Bible says. He was sharing the glory in heaven. Of being, he was God in heaven. And he came here and became God on earth. Left his glory there to become like us. And he traded, he, he came to trade places so that instead of us having to suffer for the penalty of our sin, we can now trade spaces with him. We can now, we can now be forever with him in eternity and have the glory that he shared. It's crazy. That's what he did for us. So he took this thing. So death, you know what? Here's the reality. Death is still here today. We, in fact, just this last Thursday, we lost Len to death. But death didn't win in Len's life. It didn't win. You see, death is still here today like the bee in the car but the sting is gone the sting is gone if you are in christ and that's what we did this last friday at the christian reformed church across the street we re- we remembered christ taking our sin taking our sting upon himself on that cross and we call it good friday but it was not good in many ways it was good for us it was horrible for jesus it was horrible for him what he had to go through and if you were with us on friday we left that Friday service at the tomb. Jesus was dead. Dead. He died. Death seemed to have won. But today, what day is it? It's Sunday. And you know what? Friday, it might be there, but Sunday always comes. That's the reality. That in Jesus, the tomb is empty. The, Sunday always comes. And you see, the, the reality is, this, is that the resurrection means that the sting of sin is gone. This is really important that we understand this. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the sting of sin no longer has its sting in our life. It no longer has the sting. The reality is this. if, If Christ did not rise from the dead, it means that we are still dead in our sins. It actually says that. Read the 1 Corinthians 15 passage. It says that our faith is futile. It's pointless because we're still dead in our sins. We're to be pitied more than all people. You see, the reason being is that in the Old Testament, once a year, only one time a year, the high priest would be dressed in a, a linen outfit, would go into the, the deepest place in the temple, was known as the most holy place, or the holy of holies, the same place. Two different names for the same place, the most holy place. And the, the, high, the only person that could do it was the high priest, and would go in through this thick veil that separated the most holy place, which was where the presence of God dwelt. It separated the presence of God from everybody, this thick veil. And the priest, the high priest dressed in linen, would go in and would take this perfect spotless lamb and would shed the blood and sprinkle the blood on what was known as the mercy seat of forgiveness. And here's the thing. If the priest came back through that veil, it was good news. It meant that the sacrifice was accepted. It meant that the people were forgiven for their sins. You know, they would actually tie a rope to the leg of the priest because if the sacrifice wasn't accepted, that priest would be dead and they would just have to pull the priest out. You couldn't go behind that veil, that curtain. You would be killed. One time a year, the high priest could do that. Sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat of forgiveness. And the reality is this, is that Jesus was our perfect, spotless lamb. He was a sacrifice for each and every one of us. Do you know what's interesting? They took Jesus off that cross, and what did they wrap him in? Linen. Linen, just like that high priest. Jesus was our high priest. But he was the sacrifice. He was the perfect spotless lamb. And wrapped in linen, they placed him in the deepest part, not of the temple, but of the earth. A tomb, a cave. Literally is where he was put, laid to rest. And here's the thing. 
If he didn't rise, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if he didn't come back out, you know what that says? It says that the price wasn't enough. His sacrifice wasn't accepted. This is why the resurrection is so important. Because this morning we're celebrating the fact that Jesus did rise from the dead. And you know what that means? That means that our sins are paid for. The sacrifice was accepted. The resurrection is critical because, you know, a, a dead Savior can't save anybody. But we don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior. He did emerge. And that means now that because of his offering being accepted, we can have forgiveness in Christ with God the Father. Our sins paid for. And that's why the resurrection deals with the sting of death, the sting of sin. If you put your faith in Christ because he rose, there truly is no more sting of sin that you have to walk through. Now, the second sting of death that the resurrection removes is that of separation. You know, probably, I think probably the largest sting or fear of death that we tend to experience and face in this life is that of separation, right? We think of Len this past week that passed away. We're separated now from Len, right? And it's kind of like, I was able to go see him. I'm so thankful. Lynn called me on, on Tuesday, and I, I left after a staff meeting, was, was able to go up to the Cairnsmore and, and see Len one last time and able to talk with him. And, and um, he was doing one of my favorite things, eating ice cream. He loved dessert, he loved his desserts, and it was probably one, I don't know if that was the last thing he ate, I'm not sure, but, um, but I, I, I'm not with Len now. I can't go see Len now. The separation, that's the thing that we tend to fear, is it not? My dog that died, Kim, that died when I was a child, it was that I was separated. I couldn't be with Kim anymore. That's the problem with death. That's what death does. It separates us from those that we love, does it not? It separates. Death separates, sort of. I'll get to this. See, ultimately, sin brings death, but sin also brings separation. And that's what we experience with death. Look at what Isaiah 59.2 says. It says that your sins have separated you from God. It's your sins that have separated you from God. But what we just looked at was that through Christ's death and resurrection, our sin is paid for. It's actually dealt with. In fact, when Christ died, I already mentioned this veil that was in the temple. That veil, do you know how thick that veil was? It was about 36 inches thick. Thick. Not wide, but thick. And so this veil, let's pretend this is like the most holy place up here. It would be like a veil that would go right across the front of the stage. 36 inches thick, woven tightly together. And that veil was so thick and so heavy and so serious because if you ever went beyond that veil into the presence of God as a sinful person, you would be killed instantly. And so it was so thick for that very reason to separate, to say God is holy and he's here and you are not holy and you stay there. And it's a separation, the whole point of the veil. But what happened when Jesus died? The veil was torn. And it was torn in a very specific way. Do you know how it tore? Top to bottom. It tore from the top down to the bottom. And it was communicating so much for us. It was communicating, number one, that it was a God thing, God downward, right? Top down, God down. God did the work for us. He ripped apart the veil. But it also communicated that that separation now between God, very God himself, and us is gone. The veil's gone. The separation's gone. It's amazing. We now have 24-7 access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. You got to remember, this was only once a year normally. One time a year could one person do this, get through that veil. And now we're told 24-7 we can have access. Crazy. Just crazy. Look at, look at what Hebrews 10 says about it. Verses 19 to 22. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Most holy place, that's the veil that separated that. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain, meaning the veil, into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. That is good news. But something we need to understand is this. It's not only for our time here on earth that that, that veil has been removed. It's not just that, but it, it's, what it's speaking is that we will never, ever be separated from God. For eternity, we will be with him. Because Christ rose, the Bible says, we will too. And ultimately, this is what it's saying about death. It changes everything about death. We should look at death differently. As followers of Jesus, we look at death in a whole different way. 
not with fear. In fact, we should look at death with anticipation. That's actually what Scripture would speak of. It's not that we want to die. We're not sadistic and weird. But we don't fear death. In a way, I'm going to read you a verse that Paul wrote in a second. In a way, he says that the sting of death is removed. Do you know what the sting now becomes in some ways? Living here on this earth. Ultimately, that's how our view should be of death. The sting is that I need to take about 80 or 100 years on this earth before all eternity with God. That's the sting, is that we don't get to be there quite yet. Look at, look at what Paul says. First, uh, or Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What? You guys think that most days? The New Living Translation translates it this way. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is, what does he say? Even better, this dude is crazy. The Apostle Paul was a little bit bananas, we would think, reading that. In fact, I'm going to read some verses in a moment that speak about how he was actually torn. He was torn with what to do. He's like, do I stay on earth or do I go be with Jesus? How many of you would like to be with Jesus? Some of you just don't know him then. I'm going to give you opportunity later to know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you want to be with Jesus. You want to be with Jesus. The sting is to remain here. This is what Paul goes on to say this. The next verses he says in verse 22 to 24, for if I am to go on living in the body, so he says, like, like for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So there'll be some fruitful stuff that happens on the earth. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. That is absolute crazy talk, if you're honest. Seriously. How many of you read that and go, that's me every day? That's crazy talk. But that is the reality of death because of the resurrection of Christ. There's no more separation at all. In fact, death is actually just now the ushering of us into eternity. Jesus actually called himself the door. The door. He's the door into eternity. He's the way in. In fact, many of the New Testament writers really struggled to kind of describe death as a Christian. They'd use words like falling asleep. It's like it doesn't really say it, but, or being absent from the body or departing. And they, they couldn't fully, fully accurately describe it because there's no word that really could for a Christian. What happens at that moment of death? And I don't know if maybe Maybe some of you have been with somebody that's died, a believer that's died. But the first time that I was with a Christian that died was with my grandma. I was in my fourth year of Bible school. And I remember um, I was in her room down in Victoria, and um, I remember taking her last breaths. And she was a woman that really loved the Lord, like just loved Jesus, an incredible woman of God. And I remember being with her, and I remember being in the room when she passed, went on from this life to eternity. And I went back to Bible school afterwards, and I was talking to the dean of students. It was right during exam week. I had to go home and then come back and finish writing exams. And he had me in, my off- in his office as soon as I came back. And he was like, Peter, how are you doing? I said, you know what? I'm actually fine. And, and I said to him, I said, I, I don't want this to sound like, like sadistic and weird, but it was probably one of the most beautiful things that I've ever witnessed was the passing of my grandmother. And he's like, he says, I know exactly what you're talking about. He had been with many people. He had been a pastor for a number of years and was an older man and, he said, I, I've, I've been in the presence of many people that had passed that were followers of Christ. I said, it was just beautiful. I literally was in the room, and I remember seeing in my grandma, she was taking her last, she, would, she was gulping for air. And I remember, and she was, she was mostly sedated, so she wasn't, you know, conscious, and we weren't talking to her, and I, like, she wasn't talking to us, but I remember her taking those last breaths. And I remember uh, honestly being like, she's gone. You could tell, just like that. And the presence of God filled that room. And it was like, I can't explain it. I honestly can't. And I was trying to explain it to the dean of students. And I said, I I don't know how to even. And he was saying, I I get it. I fully get it, Peter. I know what you're talking about. It was beautiful. Beautiful. As she went on to be with Jesus right then and there. It was so clear, so obvious. I actually, I'm going to read to you um, a book in a few moments. The whole book. (laughs) I'm going to read you a portion of this book. And um, in this book, um, the author, his name's Jamie, Jamie Winship, he, um, 
he, he uh, was a police officer for a number of years and then went and spent about 30 years in Muslim countries working with Muslims. Incredible, incredible stories. And it's not in this book, but in a podcast one time, he actually speaks as well about one time where he, as a police officer, he was off duty and he was driving home. Um, it was like the middle of the night, I think it was. And he came upon a horrific car accident and there was a, um, he said he came upon this accident in this intersection. There was no one else around, just two police officers that had been first on the scene. And there was the body in the street, just covered with a sheet, that had been ejected from the vehicle. And so this man had been, been killed in this accident. And these two police officers, he said, he came up to them, he said they were both kneeling down, these state troopers, and they had their hats off, and they were kneeling beside the body. And he came up to them, and he was like, everything okay? They wouldn't even talk to him, he said. Everything okay? And finally, they kind of, they're like, yeah, we just... We just witnessed the most beautiful thing, they said. We came upon this man. It was horrific. But he was talking to Jesus. And Jesus was calling him home. And they're like, we feel like we're just like, 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 like in the presence of God. And they, were just, they said we had to just stop and just, just take in this moment as they just knelt down with their, their hats. And they just were just, just reveling, in a sense, in this moment of witnessing the most beautiful thing they've experienced of Jesus meeting with this man, talking, and they were talking, he said. These officers said he was talking to to Jesus. They were having a conversation. And then he went home to be with Jesus. And they were like, it was just unreal. You You see, death in our culture, generally death, we don't really know how to think of it, especially if we're not a believer, but oftentimes we think it's kind of this ceasing to exist. That's what most people would teach. Death is just a ceasing to exist. But for Christians, we know this. We don't cease to exist for a moment. We simply move. We just change addresses. In fact, look at John eleven twenty six. 26. Jesus said this. He said, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Anyone, anyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. He, he just said, you will never die if you're a follower of Jesus. You don't need to fear death. There's no such thing essentially for you as a Christian. You don't need to fear it because the sting is gone. And, and literally for the Christian, death now kind of becomes like a butler. I've heard it said before. A butler, someone that just kind of welcomes you into the house. They meet you there. Death meets you and says, come on in. Time for you to step into eternity. The butler just says, why don't you take off those old clothing, that old tent of the body that you're in, and step on into eternity. That's, that's, that's what death, and listen, we don't need to fear death. Do you fear a butler? We don't fear a butler. We don't need to fear death. I heard this great quote, what we call death today is merely an incident in the course of an endless life. That's the reality, that we start life. In fact, this life, 80, 100 years, you know, the Bible speaks of it as what? Just a mist or a vapor. Ah, a breath, that's it, compared to eternity. So short, an endless life, and it's just an incident in an endless life. That's absolutely true as Christians. We never die. We never cease to exist for a moment. Our relationship with God, that curtain has been torn, not just for earth, but for all eternity now. We will forever be in his presence. Not for one millisecond will we not be with him. We just, we just simply move from here to be more fully into his presence. Right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. As D.L. Moody, the the famous evangelist of the 19th century put, he said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. That's a man who knew what the resurrection of Christ meant. Now, here's the thing. Not only does the resurrection of Christ not mean that we now have to fear the separation of death from God, but also the separation of death from others. That's the reality, too. The sting can be gone. Genesis speaks of this a lot, but also Deuteronomy chapter 32. I want to read to you. Um, Moses is about to die. God gives him some final instructions before he dies. And this is what the Lord says to Moses. He says, Go up into the Abiram range to Mount Nebo in Moab, across from Jericho, and view Canaan, the land I am giving the Israelites as their own possession. There on the mountain that you have climbed, you will die, and what does he say next? And be gathered to your people. Just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. You see, for those of us that are in Christ, death, death means that, that very fact. You'll be gathered to your people. 
You'll be gathered to your people. We will be forever with the saints. Hebrews 12 talked about that, a great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. We will be forever with our people. You know, the question really is this, is have you dealt with the sting of death in your life? And I think the other question would be is, who are your people? Something you need to think about. Who are your people? Who will you be gathered to when you die, when you are ushered into eternity? You see, because Christ rose, the sting is gone. There's no more fear of death. Can you imagine if we truly believed this way, believed this and lived this? What would our life look like if we lived a life that didn't fear death anymore? I think we'd live life a little bit differently. I want to read a little bit of this book. I'm not going to read the whole thing, although I'd love to, but uh, I want to read a little bit from this book. It's, it's, it's a little bit long. It also speaks a little bit about torture. So if you've got kids in here that perhaps could be a little bit sensitive to that, or if you just are like, I get a little bit queasy when I hear about torture, you're welcome to just go wait at the back doors, and if you need to, you can plug your ears at the appropriate time. No judgment whatsoever. Um, but he tells a story in here of, of one of the Muslims that they worked with in one of the countries that he was living and working in. And he says this, one of our national friends and teammate in a country where we formerly worked was detained and then tortured last year due to his vocal faith in Christ. The secret police would wrap him in plastic and then force him to stand in the sun where he would become dehydrated. In the evening, they would hang him up by his hands and cut him with razor blades. While cutting him, the police would order him to renounce Christ. Our teammate reported that every time the police cut him, he could hear Jesus whispering in his ear, I'm inside your pain. Every time they cut you, more of me comes out. Do you know what his emotions were in that situation? Joy, peace, because Christ appeared to him in the suffering, and his grace was abundant and generous for the place. We read the amazing stories in the Bible about how people respond to persecution, and we want them to be true, but we, we mostly don't believe them to be true. Oh yeah, they're singing in dungeons and praising God in coliseums. Yeah, right. But true joy was flowing from our tortured teammate because his mind was fixed on truth. The prophet Isaiah writes, perfect, absolute peace surrounds those whose imaginations are consumed with you. They confidently trust in you. Isaiah 26, 3. Your mind is powerful. If you lay in bed at night and think about exercising, your mind will make your body prepare to exercise. That's its power. Your mind will believe the real and the unreal just as quickly depending on what you want to focus on. Your imagination doesn't distinguish between real and unreal. If you fix your imagination on the things of God, you can be joyful no matter what's going on. After cutting our teammate dozens of times, the police realized that the young man was finding joy within the torture. They said, we've either got to kill him or let him go. The problem is, it seems like he wants us to kill him. They arrived at this conclusion because our teammate kept calling out to Jesus that he wanted to see him face to face. In the pain, our friend felt deep joy, but the thought of seeing Jesus face to face brought tears to his eyes. What do I have to do to get you to move in front of me so I can see your face, Jesus? He would call out because he could hear Jesus whispering in his ear. And it was like he was right there. He's like, I just want to see you. He sensed Jesus saying, you'd have to come home with me. What do you think our teammate said he wanted to do? He wanted to go. He was truly experiencing what Paul described to live as Christ and to die as gain. Philippians 1.21. What if you believed like that? You would be invincible and eternally at rest. The secret police said if we kill him, it's going to be the greatest joy of his life. Let him go. No. Our teammate cried out. No. He didn't want to be released. He wanted to meet with Jesus, but they released him. He came back to us. He was 25 years old at the time, a young Muslim who had come to Christ and had been a believer for only one year when he was tortured. You show me a 25-year-old American Christian who can do that. Yet people ask, is he a real believer? Oh my gosh, this is what he wrote. He was frustrated. He said, I was so close to seeing Jesus. I was almost right there. And then they stopped. We were thinking, God, we don't want to be that close. We're happy right here. We don't want to die. One year later, at age 26, our young Muslim friend and follower of Jesus is participating in a late-night Bible study in the desert. He and his friends would travel out there at night to meet up with an American who drove a van filled with lawn chairs out into the desert to lead secret Bible study groups. The American would set up a circle of chairs at a predetermined location and wait for the Muslims to appear out of the night to study the scriptures with him. They would study the Bible through the night, and just before dawn, they would pray, embrace, and then vanish back into the desert. On this night, he is explaining a reoccurring dream he's been having. 
I keep dreaming that I'm walking through my darkened house with a flashlight trying to locate my family, but I keep draping a cloth over the light, making it less visible. I think God is trying to tell me something, but I don't understand. One of the other Muslim believers reads aloud Matthew 5, 15 to 16. And who would light a lamp and then hide it in an obscure place? Instead, it's a place where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that your commendable works will shine as light upon them and then they will give their praise to your Father in heaven. Young, the young Muslim believer concludes, oh, I know what that means. I need to get my whole tribe, uh, meaning his extended family, together and explain Jesus to them. The following day, he goes to his uncle and says, I need the whole tribe together so I can talk about how I have come to faith in Jesus. His uncle warns him, if I call the tribe together you will, and, and you speak of those things, some may plan to kill you. But the young Muslim believer is beyond the fear of death. It's not that he is brave, he is fearless. 400 people come out and he gives his testimony. Two days later, three cousins drag him out in the desert and shoot him between his legs to shame and castrate him. Then they leave him there to die. But he doesn't die. He is found by some shepherds who take him to a small hospital. There a doctor saves his life but informs him that he'll never have children and he'll never walk again. But his, his body heals and he can have children and he does walk again. After his recovery, he goes back to his uncle and says, let's do it again. I need to speak to them again. Apparently, they didn't understand what I meant because they took it the wrong way. <laughs> when he informs us that he wants to go back and speak to his tribe again, we are horrified. We warn him not to do it. We, his mature disciples. Do you know why we are afraid? Because we don't believe the gospel like he believes the gospel. We haven't experienced the tangible presence of Jesus as he has. That is where the Lord is challenging us. The young Muslim goes back to his tribe and speaks to them again. The ones who shot him are right in the front row. He says, apparently you didn't understand my message. I forgive you in the same way that Jesus forgives you. It's okay, I'm fine. He then proceeds to explain the gospel again. Two days later, the same guys abduct him, stab him multiple times, and push him down a ravine in a desert-like wilderness, thinking he will bleed out. This time, he is discovered by a military patrol doing some night maneuvers. They pick him up and ask, what happened to you? My cousins stabbed me, he says. Why, the soldiers ask, because I met Jesus. These Muslim soldiers are amazed at his story. When he tells them what happened the first time, they ask, you spoke to your tribe again after they shot you? Yes. Who is this Jesus you're talking about? The soldiers are so moved by his courage that they go and find the cousins and arrest them. Let God handle the vengeance part. You just forgive. How is this young Muslim believer so fearless? He would say it's because he knows the God who speaks and he knows his identity in the kingdom of God. He knows because Christ rose, so will he. Can you imagine? What if we viewed death through that same kind of lens? The resurrection has removed the sting of death. It's gone. It's gone. I want to I wrap up this morning really quickly. Obviously, I, I just feel I need to address this, that if everything hangs on the resurrection of Christ, well, how do we know he really rose from the dead? Do you just take my word for it? I, I want to really, really quickly, it's going to take us just like three minutes to look at four reasons why I believe we can have faith that Jesus really rose from the dead. The first one being this, that all the major religions of the world, you think about all the major religions of the world, they're all founded by somebody. Somebody founded all the major religions of the world. And you can go to the tombs of all the major religious founders in the world. You can go to Nepal, you can go to India, you can go to Medina, all these places where the major religions of the world, the founders are buried. The reason you can do that is because they're still dead. Their tombs, in fact, are enshrined. Massive temples often built over their tombs. The largest religion in the world is Christianity. The largest religion in the world is Christianity. You can go to Israel today, and they will lead you to what is called the garden tomb. We don't know for sure if it's the tomb of Jesus. It's a good guess. You know why we don't know that it's the tomb of Jesus? You know why we don't know where the largest religion of the world with its founder, Jesus, we don't know where his tomb is? Because he's not in it. He's not in the tomb. He rose from the dead. Another great reason that we know that Christ rose is the eyewitness accounts. You know, his own disciples completely doubted his resurrection. They didn't believe he rose from the dead. The women came and found him, and they're like, yeah, I don't know about this one. And they're like, no, seriously. 
He rose. He wants to meet with you guys. They meet with Jesus. And all of those disciples, they, they put their faith in him and are like, okay, wow, this is crazy. You know, all of those disciples, except one, died horrible martyr's death for preaching Jesus and preaching the resurrection of Christ. All of them. How many of you would die for a lie? Right? None of us would. Yet, yet all of them, except one, died horrible martyr's deaths, testifying to the fact of his resurrection. Not only that, even over the course of about 40 days, we're told that he appeared to hundreds of people. So at one point, 500 people all at one time, testifying that he rose from the dead. That would uphold, that would stand in any court of law today. There's also the testimony of his family. Think about his own mother. She only worshipped him as God after his resurrection. And come on, how many of you have a mom? Liars! See, you're all sinners. I told you. See, all have sinned and fall short of the God's glory standard. Right there, example, perfect. You all have a mother, because none of you got here without one, into this world. How many of you, what would it take for your mom to worship you as God? Like, seriously. Moms know everything. <laughs> not only that, but Jesus' own brothers, his two kid brothers, did not believe he was God until he rose from the dead. You can read one of the books his brother wrote, James, brother of Jesus. They worshiped him as God. How many of you have siblings? Any of you have siblings? Good, some of you are a little quicker to answer that. Some, I'm not a liar. I'm, right? Yeah, you have siblings. What would it take for your siblings to worship you as God? Right? Yeah, yeah, so you had to laugh. It would take probably a miracle, such as a resurrection. I think the other great reason is the testimony of changed lives. Then and now, still to this day, testimony of millions of how Jesus has changed their lives. Only a resurrected Christ can continue to change people's lives, day in and day out. You know, we're going to actually have, you see this tank up here, and we're going we're gonna to have a baptism between services, about quarter to 11, roughly somewhere in there. We've got one person getting baptized this year. And uh, that is a testimony and a testament to the fact that Jesus is no longer in the tomb because lives are continuing to be changed for Jesus. You know, this morning, we're, um, we're going to close with a song. But I want, I want to make sure that you have the invitation this morning to experience the resurrection of Christ for yourself. If you have not put your faith in Christ, if the sting of death remains in your life, it no longer has to remain anymore. You can be free of the sting of death. You can have a hope that is sure in the resurrected Jesus. You can come today and you can bring your sins, you can bring your sorrow, your pain to the cross and lay it down at the cross and put your faith and your hope in him and let him take the sting of sin and the sting of separation. As the team comes forward, the worship team, um, I want to give you that opportunity. We're going we're gonna to just say a word of prayer and then we're going to sing a song together. So can we just close our eyes and just prepare our hearts even right now? Father, I thank you. I thank you for this amazing Sunday that we are here celebrating once again the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your son that you sent to pay the price for all of our sins. And Lord, I pray right now for those that, that might be here, whether they're in-house or joining us online. And Father, they have a fear of death. The sting of death has not been removed. Lord, if they are still dead in their sins, like those scriptures spoke about, I pray that today they would be drawn by your Holy Spirit to put their hope and their trust and their faith in you, Jesus, the resurrected Lord. They don't need to regret the past and the pain. Lord, they can spend eternity with you and spend eternity with the people of God. And so, Lord, right now, even in these moments, just speak, Lord, to hearts. Speak to hearts. If you're online and you have not put your faith in, in Christ, can you just reach out to Stuart or send me an email, peter at duncanchurch.com, and I would love to just talk to you about what it means to put your faith in Jesus, what that looks like. And if you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Christ, you have, you have not turned from your old way of life, you've been maybe trying to do things in your own strength, in your own righteous acts, that you would say, I'm a pretty good person. It's not good enough, I'm telling you now. Only Jesus makes a way. Only Jesus was perfect and paid the price that you could never pay. 
And so if you're joining us this morning and you want to put your faith in Jesus, you want to say, I can't trust in myself because I can't get it done. I want to trust in Jesus. I want to give him my sin. Is there anybody this morning that would say that? Peter, can you pray for me in closing? I would love to give you a Bible. I'd love to tell you kind of about what's next and what it looks like to follow Jesus. Is there anybody this morning? Anybody here that would just put up your hand and I would love to just, I won't embarrass you, but I'll just pray for you as I close. Anybody this morning? Again, if you're online, make sure to reach out to myself or Stuart. Oh, Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, that I believe everyone in this room has a deep-seated faith in the resurrection of Jesus. God, I thank you that we can have a living hope. A living hope. Not, I'm pretty sure, but we're confident. We know this beyond the shadow of a doubt that because Jesus rose, we will rise too. So Lord, we celebrate today. We worship you, Jesus. We don't look for the living among the dead. We don't go to tombs to look for Jesus. We look to heaven. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Thank you, God. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.